Support for WFIU News comes from the IU Alumni Association, now offering IU Proud, a member program designed for recent graduates and those facing economic hardship. More information at alumni.iu.edu join. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Sarah Whitmeyer, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU News. Today, we're pleased to have as our guest IU President Pamela Witten to talk about her first year in office, the IUPUI split, and other issues that are facing Indiana University. You can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. You can send us your questions using email uh, by sending it to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also join us on the air by calling 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. Well, Pam, President Witten, thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. We're happy to have you here. Uh, I know you talk a lot about the students. This is the week the students are coming back. So. What's this? Is this like uh, Christmas week for you? I mean, what's this? <laughs> it is. It is. It's, you know, it's funny you'd say that because to, you know, to most Americans, uh, you know, New Year's Eve is December 31st, right? And the New Year's January 1st. To me, New Year's Eve is the 21st and and August 22nd will be New Year's Day when, when we actually get started again. And, and in my house, we actually start the countdown a few weeks before. Uh, so it's just been such a pleasure uh, to, you know, see the influx of students uh, coming back to campus in Bloomington and Indianapolis and all, all our campuses as well. And we have to remind people that you're over all of the campuses. So what is that like? Because you're you're traveling around, I assume, to each campus and, and greeting students. I am. I, you know, it's 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 really um, my good fortune. Um, you know, an IU student um, is an IU student, and. Um, you know, campuses are different. The flavor's different a little bit. Sometimes the makeup's a, a little bit different. But, you know, this is a week of such excitement at every campus. You know, it's it's a lot of people, um, at least this early week, you know, entering college for the first time. And if, uh, you know, those of us uh, listening today uh, remember, can remember that far back in some of our cases, it's fantastic, right? It's it's the beginning of, of when your life really as an adult is formed, and uh, no matter what you're studying or where you're studying. And so it's, it's truly such a privilege to get to share that joy with the incoming students. I went back and looked at your inaugural speech from about a year ago, and you said, you've said a lot of things very consistently over time. I want to ask you some to follow up on a couple of things. One of the things that you talked about with serving students first, of course, was creating an experience both inside and outside the classroom that puts them first. Mm-hmm. How, what kind of experiences? What do we need to do? You know, we, so, so there there are a lot of wonderful experiences our students have. I mean, and you know, we were we were chatting a little bit before we went on air, and you were sharing the experiences that you offer our students in terms of internships and opportunities at the station. And that's a perfect example, you know, of the ability for a student to to get out of the classroom, right, get out of the books, and actually get to get their hands into the actual work. And so, you know, that's a big part of of what's here, but it's also a big part of what we're seeking to really expand for our students is that experiential learning, those opportunities, uh, you know, for them ac- across all of our campuses. Okay. And then the idea that uh, you want to make sure that the students remain at the center of the universe of Indiana University, do you think that wasn't happening? And you know, how, how would you make sure that that is the case? I, I think IU has a long history of really appreciating and serving students. I, I do. I think, um, you know, as, as we move forward, 
there's an opportunity to to elevate that in terms of, of putting it into focus. And so, you know, one of the things that I ask um, our wonderful faculty and our, our staff and our leaders across all of our campuses is, you know, as you're working through hard issues, as you're, you know, dealing with the challenges that, that you face and you're sometimes in a room, you know, looking at the pros and cons, you know, be the person that stops the conversation and says, how is this going to impact a student? How are things going to be better for a student with this decision or this this lack of a decision? So to bring it into kind of the center of all that we do. And so and so that's the shift is, mm-hmm. is really the focus that we're putting on, on students now. Okay. Maybe that's a good segue into the IUPUI split. Right, right. Ab- so how, how is that going to better serve students? The, um, the work that we're doing in Indianapolis, uh, it, it's, it's really a wonderful opportunity. Um, you know, certainly we want to acknowledge, you know, 50 years of just great work in the city, right, with, with IU and Purdue coming together to, to create IUPUI. Lots of, of amazing programs um, serve lots of students very, very well. But I don't think anyone um, would deny that it's also been confusing, um, not just in the state of Indiana, but beyond what is that? How does it work? Um, I will not say uh, the way many people have pronounced that acronym in past years. You guys can do that if you'd like. Um, um, but there was a lot of confusion, uh, certainly, certainly around that. Um, at the same time, there's been a lot of conversation, um, good honest, candid conversation from various stakeholders uh, in Indianapolis and Indiana and beyond about, you know, the opportunities to to create a workforce and to focus on the things and the needs of Indiana, not just today, but what it's going to need in 10, 20, or 30 years. And so this really gives us an opportunity to um, to create that new university for the future. Um, and so we can talk about the mechanics if you guys want to, um, but the bottom line is that, you know, this enables us, and, and it's two years out. You know, we have an MOU, so we're in the in the hard work and the planning stages where everyone will be participating. But in two years, we're going to have IU Indianapolis, and we're going to be in a position um, certainly to continue a lot of the wonderful degrees um, that, that are that are in place, but also to to create new offerings or um, new focus areas for instruction and research that are in line with um, what society in Indiana needs tomorrow as, as well. And so that's a that's a pretty wonderful opportunity. Not many universities are in a position where they get to, uh, to say, take a pause and go, now let's kind of build a new direction as well. And so we're, we're very fortunate. And we are really ambitious about building just a world-class urban university in Indianapolis. I've been here a really long time and uh, have seen other times when IU Indianapolis or IUPUI was starting to get attention from the IU Board of Trustees and people in Bloomington sometimes kind of freak out about that. So what can you say to um, try to make Bloomington people understand that building IU Indianapolis is not going to take away from them or is not going to be a a negative for IU Bloomington? Oh, gosh. You know, thank you for asking that. Um, You know, you know, Indiana University in Bloomington is a special university. Um, you know, certainly for uh, the tradition uh, that's here, um, the beauty of the campus. I mean, I tell everyone it's the most beautiful campus in America, and I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating. Um, and anyone that hasn't walked across this campus in the last week or two needs to get get down here and do it. It's it's just stunning. You know, the range of programs. You know, our, our dedication to being a liberal arts institution and the and the full rounded education that you get that that's going to continue. The um, you know the the various areas that that uh, really stand out for being exceptional you know from from Kelly to you know O'Neill to um, you know some of the wonderful um, social sciences and humanities to the arts it's just it's just unique and it's a niche place and none of that's going to change uh, if if anything we really have an opportunity also on Bloomington to dream big about you know how to continue those things and then and then move in the directions that our that our faculty would like to move into the future as well and so. You know, having a strong, uh, exceptional urban university in the state of Indiana does not in any way preclude us from continuing and even advancing just the wonderful university that's in Bloomington. There are, um, there's a finite amount of money to go around. And so with, you know, we've, there's been a lot of building on campus here. You know that. There's been a lot of building on campus here in the last few years. And I think there there's some concern, I've heard, that maybe the construction dollars are going to be going to rebuild the IUP or the IU Indianapolis in a little bit different way, maybe with more 
more student housing, things like that, and that construction will probably be much slower here. Well, I I have seen the results of a pretty extraordinary amount of building in the in the in the last ten years, and I'm grateful to have those those facilities and those renovations here. But I, but I do think in the next decade, um, just in general, our strategy is going to be more about pivoting toward those programs. Uh, you know, both from the perspective of opportunities for students for learning, but also for research and creative activity for for our faculty, and you know, really propelling Indiana University. Uh, forward in, in that direction. Uh, you know, having, having said that, um, I don't want to get into a long, complicated financial uh, lecture uh, because I, I don't want anyone to fall asleep while they're driving, you know, <laughs> if they're listening to this. Um, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, and so the, the dollars that uh, come into the Bloomington campus through tuition and other means stay in Bloomington. The dollars that come into Indianapolis through tuition and those directed things at the university stay in Indianapolis. And the same for all of our regional campuses. So there's not really a mechanism of... Uh, you know, taking money from one campus to put onto another one to do those those things anyway, and things like housing are totally separate budget. They're auxiliary budgets, and so they basically have to um, generate the revenue to pay for themselves. So it's it's the same thing. So there's there's no um, there's no risk, um, or there'll be no activity that would take from one for for another campus. That's just not how things work financially. Okay. I know a few weeks ago you sat down with a reporter who was working on a piece for us um, about your first year, mm-hmm. and one of the you were you talked a little bit about spending and said in your first year there were some things that just had to be yoked in. Mm-hmm. What could you elaborate on that a little more? Like what is construction one of those areas where it just had to be? No, not, not exactly. Uh, so, so you know, so when you're new in a position, particularly when you come in from from the outside, uh, there's obviously a lot that you ha- that you have to learn, and and um, you know, lots of it is just wonderful. Uh, and sometimes there's stuff under a rock that you go shoot, um, and has to be a, a, be addressed pretty quickly. And um, and we have some issues here. You know, I, I tease um, the new provost in Bloomington a lot. I say, wow, there's a, a lot that's been going on, and we came and the music stopped. Um, and, and, and now um, we, we'll be the ones that need to address it. But, but one example of that was um, very early on, I realized that for a number of years uh, across the institution, uh, we had a culture, I'll just be very frank, of spending more than we were bringing in. So our expenses were, were exceeding our revenues, and, and, um, and the day was ending when there were just kind of pockets of fixed funds that we could be using, right, to, to do that. And so uh, we got in front of it. Um, we cut $70 million in uh, my first year here, and I am very hopeful that, uh, for the most part, no one realizes it because I decided that we weren't going to cut anything that touched a student or faculty member. And so it was all work that was done at the central level. Um, for, for the cutting that happened. So we did it. Uh, we start this new fiscal year on July 1st with an even budget uh, ready to propel forward. So so there are some things like that we needed to take on and, and get, get right, get fixed in the first year, my first year. Was that at the administrative level uh, or was that people? How do you get $70 million out of... You know, it's a mix of things. Yeah. So we have, um, you know... Uh, we're, as, as you guys alluded to, we're enormous, right? We're, we're just enormous. Um, you know, Bloomington and Indianapolis and our regionals and the biggest med school in the country with its eight campuses and, and, and multiple and multiple areas. And so, uh, you know, most of it, of course, it operates independently, but we have some areas called uh, UA units that are what you would expect that kind of oversee things for all the campuses. And it's, it's what you'd think, right? Finance and uh, legal and IT and HR, those kind of things. And so, so what we did is uh, we just did a lot of work to identify opportunities for efficiencies. And so a number of vacant positions uh, are, aren't being filled. About 45% of the cut, if I remember correctly, was related to people in the vacant positions not being filled. And then about 55% were other efficiencies that we found, you know, found ways to save money as well. Okay. You mentioned the, uh, the medical school, and I know that a lot of your, I mean, you've got expertise in telemedicine. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how that will um, impact IU. Your, your uh, expertise in that area, are, you going, are there areas where IU can improve in that, and how can we do that? 
Well, first of all, I want to thank you for acknowledging it's telemedicine. I was in an event last week, and someone was introducing me as um, as a world class researcher and scientist in telemarketing. Um, so, so I, I didn't quite know how to get up to the microphone uh, after that. Uh, there, those those are skills I don't necessarily have, to be frank with you. So, thank you for for reading the paper, right, and getting telemedicine. Um, so, so the, the the wonderful part of the experience that I had in all those years as a researcher myself. I'm a faculty member. Uh, love teaching. Love doing research. Of course, and and my field was in telemedicine, and so I would look at for many decades using various types of uh, innovative new technologies to deliver health services to people, and then I would study health outcomes and cost outcomes and impact on delivery, you know, for folks as well, and um, and did it in a lot of quiet years, um, you know, those of us in the field joke that it just took a pandemic for telemedicine to become ubiquitous, right? And now everyone appreciates what what it can be. But probably more important, um, frankly, was the the uh, insight that it provided me all those years. I am not a clinician, but working directly in clinical fields uh, to understand the opportunities and challenges uh, with medical education and, and health services and delivery as well. And so I, I don't pretend to know everything, um, but I have a sense of what to ask, at least, and to understand where there's opportunity. And um, there's great opportunity. Uh, we have, as I've said, the biggest medical school in the country. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, we are top 15 in NIH funding in terms of public universities. Uh, one of our announcements last week was that uh, we've set the ambitious goal to be a top 10 public university in NIH funding. Uh, I, think, I think we will get there. We have just wonderful faculty and researchers, both in the med school as well as our other departments and our other campuses that that partner with them. And you know the recruiting that's gone on by our very talented dean of our med school is is really just been exceptional as well. And so, um, from the research and the education side, we're, we're ambitious. But but I also want to do a call out for something else that I think we need to be more intentional uh, about, and and that is um, we're the state's flagship institution. And uh, with that comes responsibility in in multiple ways, certainly. And I think that we probably should um, uh, be optimistic or enthusiastic about the opportunity it provides us to step up and play a leadership role in impacting the quality of health for Hoosiers all over the state of Indiana. You know, if you look at those uh, those metrics, it's not awesome in the state of Indiana. Um, and if by being top two or three means not awesome, it's awful uh, in Indiana, right? And so I, I, I do think, I know it's big and I know it's complicated, they're complicated issues, but I, but I, I think it's really our responsibility to step up and, and figure out how we, how we can better serve the state as a whole uh, in terms of impacting uh, certainly health and other, and other areas as well. Yeah. Sarah, I'm gonna let you ask some questions in a minute. But <laughs> I wanna follow up on this because, you know, we did a show a couple weeks ago. We it was about the abortion issue. We had some physicians on who work for IU Health, um, and faculty members who work in IU Health, and they're very concerned about recruitment mm-hmm. of medical students and recruitment of physicians to to Indiana after you know the decisions of the legislature. Does that does that concern you? I certainly share um, in in concern um, that that we see all over the state, right, from private industry to to, to higher ed and, and other areas. You know, right now um, our focus and our priority is on um, understanding and assessing um, any potential impact on our teaching and research mission of of the university, and also those services uh, that would be available um, and necessary for our faculty, staff, and students. And so, so that's really our focus right now, and we're coming to understand that. Um, what what that means and what the implications will be. Are there are there negative implications ahead? I don't know. As I said, we're analyzing okay. it. So 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 give us a, a little bit of time okay. at this point. Yeah, All we, right. got, we got a question about that. Just wondering if it was going to affect the ability of IU to attract not just students but also faculty. Mm-hmm. Are we worried about an exodus of faculty? That's one of the questions. So sounds like it's a wait and see. Well, and and um, um, it certainly it's wait and see, but it's but it's also uh, being proactive, uh, you know, as well to 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 work as we can um, to help uh, folks understand once we understand, uh, you know, what that means and what the implications are, and then also where where there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, just in a sort of more of a uh, maybe conversational tone, I mean, higher education is a very competitive area anyway. So I'm sure when you were at Georgia, when you were at Kennesaw State, when you were at Michigan State, mm-hmm. there were um, different, um, I don't know, different things that happened that would 
create or that would help you in, in terms of recruiting students or not help you? I mean, just taking taking a step back from this one issue. I mean, how how do you position Indiana University? to be that desired place for faculty, staff, students? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's about, uh, first of all, I think creating the environment where people can be successful, right? And, and so, you know, we've talked a little bit about that with students. Um, certainly there's, there's much more we can do, uh, and, and we will be very ambitious in, uh, in making sure that uh, our students reach the success they should in terms of what you would expect in metrics, graduation and retention rates. We talked about um, real strategic work that's going on uh, to come up with a learning environment and experiences that will set IU students apart from others, and there's there's work going on in, in planning in, in that area. You know, it's also having a uh, a, a collegial, collaborative environment. Um, you know. It, People being good to each other really matters. Uh, you know, you all you all live in America right now, and it's a, you know, it's it's a it's a world where people are are quick to assume the worst, right, and uh, quick not to trust, and often and often very comfortable, especially via social media. Um, not being as thoughtful, perhaps, as, as we could. And so, you know, we want to make sure we have a tone and a culture and a climate a- across our campuses. Uh, you know, real uh, ambitious work in regard to uh, diversity, equity, inclusion are another priority for us. It's really important. Um, you know, we've done certainly done some good work in recent years, um, but there's there's more for us to do for all of our, our constituents, students, faculty, and staff. We launched a um, presidential diversity hiring initiative last year uh, out of the gate, a seven-year, $30 million initiative to uh, bring in underrepresented uh, faculty members. And it was a great success in its first year. We have 52 new faculty. These aren't replacement faculty. These are new faculty, diverse faculty, that are joining IU this year through that initiative. So I, uh, I look forward to the problems I hope that causes. I told our, uh, our Vice President James Wimbush when we launched this to please give me the problem of that not being enough money um, so that we could... Um, Find other resources and continue that as well. But, but, but you know, you know, recruiting, retaining diverse students of workforce, but also having a, a climate that enables success is an important piece as well. So, so there are a number there are a number of things that are, I think are important and uh, help people make decisions about whether coming to come to a place or stay at a place. Okay, we are talking with IU President Pamela Witten today about just her first year at the university and all the issues that are facing IU at this point. If you have questions or comments for us, you can send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also call us 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. And I know Sarah Whitmire has a lot of questions here that have come in. So. I do. I have, well, I have a couple pages. So um, a question we got in several forms is uh, about the graduate student union and why IU has not recognized the graduate student union. So I'll just let you address that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, we a few minutes ago, uh, we were talking about those things when you're brand new and you come in from outside um, that you have to find or, or discover. And this was one of those issues. Um, you know, in my first year, uh, you know, particularly my first months at the institution, if you remember, we were still probably dealing with COVID a little more than we anticipated we would be at all at all universities. Um, but in those 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 first months, uh, maybe later into the, into the fall, uh, I began to get a sense of something is wrong, you know, or something is is, is up. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, when we hired our new provost, um, I literally asked him in his first weeks to prioritize listening sessions to go figure out, you know, frankly, what was going on. Um, our graduate students, all of our graduate students, are, are wonderful. Our SAAs, they're just tremendous. Uh, you know, we want to make sure they have a phenomenal experience as as, as students, um, both in the classroom as well as learning through the experiences they get teaching and and grading and other things as well. And and, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very grateful for how much everyone spoke up. I'm, I'm very grateful for all the feedback that faculty have given along the way, um, you know, in these, in these first months as well. And as a result, um, you know, we created a task force very quickly. They were phenomenal. They did a lot of work over the summer um, to get started and got some recommendations in. And, you know, one of the things that was very glaring was um, we were at the bottom of the Big Ten in terms of what we paid our students, um, both at a minimum and as an average. And so um, we very quickly have adjusted that. And so, you know, we moved from, you know, fall of 21 when I came in, I think the minimum uh, stipend for an SAA who is a, a, a 
employee or a student uh, employee who works 20 hours a week for 10 months a year, um, you know, was $15,000. And, you know, the average was just a couple thousand more than that. And so we looked at Big Ten data and we adjusted that retroactively to July 1 to be 22000 So we're in the top half of the Big Ten now. Uh, we went beyond that. And I think... Um, uh, you know, we reacted in a way that a lot of schools haven't uh, in covering the mandatory fees as well. Uh, you know, it's about over $1,400. That's a lot of money out of pocket for graduate students. And then when there are course fees, we're now covering that as well. And so, you know, I think I think it's, it was very important to act very quickly. And that is why in my first year, we made that 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 very big jump. Um, there is a lot more to do. Um, not, it's not all financial. We recognize that. But we want to put those things into place. And so the task force and continues their work. And throughout the year, there will be additional announcements of, of things that we're, that we're doing. But I, I can't stress enough um, how important it is to me that we really support all of our graduate students and our SAAs and recognize that and, and uh, are respectful and, um, and appreciative for all that they do. Um, they're students. So they're the center of our universe, too. Yeah. Why is recognizing the union a bad idea? We've done several shows on it. We've heard from both sides of it. But I'm curious in, in your opinion. You know, I think I think I would uh, just say that it's something. Um, again, I'm in that you know learning mode, trying to understand. That's been assessed at the university several times in the past, and ultimately, you know, our board of trustees are the ones with the responsibility um, uh, to to determine what the right path forward is in regard to unionization. And I think have made very clear that that's um, not the path for us here. But I also want to make sure that uh, that I represent that the trustees have also been very clear that. Um, it is incumbent upon us to really take care of our graduate students. You know, it's very important that they are able to come here and be successful as well. And so they are um, deeply, deeply uh, thoughtful and deeply caring about graduate students as well. And so uh, I feel um, I feel very supported in moving so quickly to address these issues. It's a question that just came in. Uh, somebody who called in doesn't want to go on the air. And she wants to know about students having trouble finding affordable places to live in Bloomington. That's an issue that's beyond the university's scope. But what kind what can you do as the university president to work with maybe the city, developers, your residence hall staff? to make sure that students can find affordable places I think to that's live? A, that's a great, thoughtful question. Thank you for that. Because um, it is hard here. Uh, you know, certainly for, for our, our students, um, you know, our, our housing is great, but it's at capacity, right, uh, at this point in terms of, of being able to live on campus. Uh, I uh, From looking around, um, you can certainly tell there's been a lot of new development uh, that's been built. I know I hear the Long timers from Bloomington talk a lot about that, about how different it looks here now, the footprint of, of the town because of that. Uh, I think a lot of it's wonderful, but I do hear from students sometimes that it's not as affordable as some of them, them need as well. And so I'm um, trying to work to understand where there's opportunities. And our our uh, vice president of facilities, Tom uh, Morrison, has had a lot, and, and I've had a lot of conversations about that, and and where there might be the chance, um, you know, to uh, work with the town or at least encourage the town to, to help with that. Because you're right, once it's off our campus, our our property, we don't, unfortunately. Um, Unfortunately, don't don't have the control over it. Um, but I would also add, it's not just students. Um, you know, faculty and staff have the same problems. Uh, you know, I've uh, I've seen a number of new people join us over the course of this last year, and I know it was tough to find a house all over America. It's really tough in Bloomington as well. So I think um, beyond our students, we really also need to think about our, our faculty and staff coming in as well for housing. Yeah, okay. we actually we got a question about that. Um, Someone saying many full-time IU staff members across campus make salaries in the low 30s. How are they supposed to be able to make a living on that, given the price of housing and everything here? So I, I, I think you're right in saying it's not just the students. Mm -hmm. um, while we're on the, the subject of money, mm -hmm. um, we got a question from some folks in the facilities department. The janitors say they are severely understaffed and can hardly clean the buildings right now. Um, and they're continuing to add more classrooms to the nightly rotation as school's getting ready to start. How are they going to be able to keep up with their jobs and their work when classes start? I don't know if you know that that might be a particular area where they're struggling. Well, I, I know that um, we unfortunately are not immune from the challenges all over uh, our country right now with the, with the shortages uh, in, in staff 
uh, in every field and every industry. And so, and so though uh, I have not had a conversation with anyone about that particular issue, uh, it's not surprising, you know, given that challenge. Um, and um, they're so important. Um, they're such a, a pivotal part of our campus. Um, and I'm, I always encourage folks to make sure you uh, walk up to the folks that you don't necessarily see in the front of a classroom and remind them that you appreciate that we are as wonderful as we are because of, of what they do as well. And so um, it's, it's, it's very concerning. Um, and, and we'll have to go back and talk about how we potentially adjust expectations and workload. Um, you know, we can't ask people, you know, to contribute beyond their means. And so, so we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting what you mentioned though because it, I've been here a long time and I've never seen this many jobs posted on the IU job site. I mean, it, it, can you explain the turnover or it's just it's just part of the national It's the national trend. Yeah. I, I do not know another university that doesn't have the cha- same challenge. I'll be very honest with you. I don't know another restaurant, right, or store that doesn't have the same the same challenge as well. It's it's just a it's a it's a fascinating problem right now. And and um you know I would urge everyone, and I remind myself of this sometimes too when I'm standing in a long line. Um, we got to be patient. People are doing the best they can, and and everybody in doing all of these um, important services are shorthanded. And so we um, we need we need to show a little kindness to them. On that, that same sort of financial end of things, we've had a lot of questions that, let me just paraphrase them all and say that a lot of people have mentioned the sort of a wage gap between the highest paid employees at IU and the lowest paid employees at IU. How, how, do, you, um, how do you address an issue like that so that you can get the bottom salaries higher? I don't think anybody wants, or I don't think anybody's going to get the highest salaries lower because you're competing for the top talent. But how do you get those bottom salaries up to something that's more livable? And is that just a trustee question, or what can you do as president? To no, no, I think I think that um, uh, you know you you there's limited resources, right? At a at a at a university, as in any business, you know, as well, uh, and you have to you have to work and look through and set priorities. And so, um, this is an issue that we need to look at as well, and and you know, make sure that we're doing right by by uh, the people who perhaps uh, don't make as much, um, but certainly contribute in in just as meaningful ways. It's something we'll have to look at. Okay. One other thing that uh, another issue that has been. I don't, it's been expressed to me several times by various people, and this is that. It, let me just preface this by saying this is the idea of don't always assume bad intentions, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I've heard faculty members say that they're fearful that you're here to help um, the university do away with tenure. Oh my gosh, where what did ha- that come from? <laughs> well, what happened at the University of Georgia that would suggest that? I, I truly don't have the slightest idea. There was, I, I will say, there was talk in the legislature in the state of Georgia about that, um, but that was uh, separate and apart from any of us that worked at universities at all. And so perhaps they're conflating the conversation that happened amongst the General Assembly um, in the state of Georgia, where, where that has been talked about um, with folks that worked at universities, because that never was an, an issue at um, University of Georgia or Kennesaw State or Michigan State, the schools that I've worked at, um, and certainly is not an issue here. So I, I, will, I will say publicly... I have no <laughs> no intent or interest in pursuing that. Um, you know, again, I would put out there I'm a faculty member as well, uh, and you know, and and can appreciate um, you know the, the you know the effort and the integrity of a of a rigorous and thoughtful on tenure process and system. And so I I will continue to support that. Okay, good. At at Georgia, I think I read a story where there were some things that happened down there with maybe changing or looking at the the tenure process, making it more if I recall, make it more transparent so people knew where they stood on, you know, in terms of how they were how they were doing moving through the tenure process. Is that am I accurate about that? Could be. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm stretching a little bit. (laughs) Um, You know, I certainly would always support any university. I mean, as someone who went through this myself, um, you know, you want to be as transparent as you can for junior faculty, right? I mean, it's it's the right thing to do to make sure that they understand the expectations. And, uh, you know, these, these are uh, typically um, expectations and productivity are established by disciplines because, 
you know, a, a, a physics professor um, isn't um, going to understand the, what's necessary for an English professor and, and vice versa. So disciplines tend to set, to set their own standards. Um, but I would certainly think we would want our junior faculty to be told this is what we've set as standards. And then as the, each year as they go along, this is exactly how you're doing, making progress to that. I, I hope we do that here as well. Okay. This is unrelated to anything we've been talking about, but we're still getting questions about COVID. Um, and Colin says, as a long-standing Bloomington resident and a former IU student, wants to know how, with students continuing to deal with the COVID pandemic, how is IU planning planning to address their mental health and help them through the pandemic? Oh gosh, continues. thank you for that question. So. Um, you know, let me let me just first, uh, you know, reference COVID. I mean, you, you know, there, there's there's none of us uh, probably that don't see how different things are now than they were a year ago. And I'm not talking about the university. I'm just talking about about society. And um, and and even though that is the case, um, we're continuing on the university to monitor this uh, pretty well. We will provide masks. We really want to create an environment where you do what you, what's right and best for you and be and be kind and respectful to others. Um, they're still testing. Uh, we actually have vending machines now where you can go get a test. It's pretty awesome. It looks like you're going to go get potato chips, but then you get a, a home COVID test that you can take up to your room and do as well. And and, and we'll be watching it. We still have uh, you know facilities for students to go you know isolate if they need to, all of that. So we're, we're certainly still monitoring it, even though it feels like we have moved to a different phase. Um, but, but the question about mental health is an important one. And we actually last year, in my early months, launched a pretty significant um, study, study and strategic plan uh, in the realm of mental health uh, for our students. And we were fortunate. Uh, we have a, a new chief health officer, Aaron Carroll, who probably many of you know from leading a lot of the, the COVID efforts. Uh, it turns out Aaron's pretty wonderful at leading all kinds of health efforts. And so he, he led the team, and they came up with a report. And there's uh, a number of things uh, that we're pursuing related to services to really help with the staggering challenge of mental health. Um, for, for everyone. And there's a lot of things to do. You know, it's hard right now. Um, there are not enough providers. This is not something you can buy your way out of in terms of, of hiring people. So so we're looking at um, certainly bringing in more providers, but also kind of more innovative solutions on campuses as well. And this is on every campus um, in, in IU as well. But each campus t- has tailored it for their unique and special needs and their students. Okay. Another question about the student health. This is from Chelsea. Given Indiana's recent legislation, how is the health center going to be able to help students who are in need of reproductive care, including abortion medications or... I, so, so I referenced earlier in the program, you know, the assessment that's going on at the university to see if there are going to be any changes. Um, at, you know, at this point, I'm not aware of any changes in our health centers and the services that we provide uh, students um, a, a, as a result. Um, but, but give us a little time to confirm that and then to, to uh, see how we'll address that if, if indeed that is the case. Okay. And um, also want to give you a chance to respond to Dr. Caitlin Bernard. Um, this gentleman's name is Joe. He says he's an alum and is enjoying your conversation. Um, Thank you, Joe. He, he would like to know why you've not been more outspoken in support of Caitlin Bernard, especially as members of the media and politicians have attacked her. Well, Dr. Uh, Hess and I, Dean Hess, the dean of the medical school, and I actually came out um, with a with a statement a while ago in support of her. Um, you know, uh, you can't control what people pick up in the statements. And so I noticed uh, in one place, I think it was New York Times, they only took out the part that said she's in good standing uh, and didn't take out the rest of the statement, which talked about, you know, um, I, I don't have the statement in front of me, but, you know, really just acknowledged um, our appreciation for her and, and the reputation she enjoys as someone who cares so deeply for her patients and serving our patients as well. And so we have we have um, um, come out in support of Dr. Bernard and, and certainly will continue that as well. Okay, another uh, one of those sort of conversational questions. How do you balance a conservative legislature and a liberal faculty? I, you know, I think it's um, I think it's it goes back much to the conversation that we had before, uh, you know, um, this, you know, being thoughtful and being respectful, um, you know, and, and appreciating um, that there are often very, very significant differences in perceptions um, that, that, that are in play, um, but also not assuming the worst of people as well. Um, you know, I, I think part of the challenge we have everywhere is just uh, people's 
unwillingness to communicate and talk about things. And so I think we really want to want to privilege having those conversations and, and sharing information, you know, as well. I think that um, it's also important to, you know, to acknowledge that um, we're, you know, we're very um, supportive of all of our faculty and staff and students who are passionate about a wide range of issues that might be similar to how our current legislatures feel or might be very different, um, you know, speaking speaking up and speaking out as, as individuals. Um, you, know, in, you know, in the end, we don't actually legislate from the university. We're not elected officials and, and don't, don't have that ability. Um, and, and so that, of course, is, is where much of the conversation and communication needs to happen. And so, so um, we're very grateful for, for those, of, those of our faculty, staff, and students who are passionate about issues, whatever they may be, whichever side of the aisle they're on, you know, um, doing their job um, fulfilling the responsibilities of an American citizen and, and reaching out and, and communicating effectively. One of the things that you've done since you've been here, the, the vice president of student success, mm, right? Yes. Uh-huh. I wanted to talk about, you know, what that what you see as that role. And I, we've talked about the mental health of students. You've talked about the students as the center of the university universe. Uh, we already have a dean of students. Mm-hmm. How, how do these roles differ? What, what is the overall vision for the VP of student success? So, she, so Julie Payne Kirchmeyer started August first, um, and she, uh, I got, I, I sympathize with her. She's got a whole lot of learning to do, um, you know, in, in the in the coming months in her first year, and a lot of listening. And I know she is starting that process right now. Um, but it was, you know, when I first started uh, last July, um, I was really struck by joining a university where the presidential cabinet had no one representing the voice of students. I had not seen that before as an institution. I don't understand it, um, but of course, um, sought to remedy it pretty quickly. And so that's why we created uh, this vice president of student success, um, who has a, a significant portfolio, obviously established portfolio under her as, as she walks in, um, that she's responsible for. Um, but it, but it's also an opportunity to to really look wide, and she is responsible for all of Indiana University, not just a, a single campus, right? Um, at those those areas that we really need to beef up and address to enable student success. And so um, one example where it really came to a head to me, um, I don't know if I should share this example or not, but when I first started, my very first month here and, um, at IU, and I said um, to the people that work with me in my office, okay, I want to have a meeting with whoever's in charge of mental health um, stu- services for our students across IU. And about two weeks later, there's nothing on my calendar, and the people that work with me are very smart, um, and and so it, it certainly wasn't negligence, and it ended up there was nobody, there was nobody. It was just piecemeal, and so we didn't have any kind of you know standard for or baseline that every student, no matter where they are, would have access to in terms of those services or, or that that care, and that's just one example. And so having a, a a person whose whole job is about those issues that are important for students to succeed, I think is is very important. And so I think we'll we will um, be watching in the coming months and years additional things like that that roll out that we're able to to make sure that every student has access to great services and care and, and other aspects. Okay. And she's terrific. I hope you'll bring her on the show at some point. We I think will. student mental health is a show. Actually, yeah. it hasn't been that long since we've done something like that, but just, you know, sure. um, my tenure on university campuses, you can just tell what a growing mm-hmm. issue it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, a question, where does your commitment to research lie and what areas would you like to see be given priority? So we have, um, I'm going to wind this answer back a little bit, if that's okay. Um, So we uh, did some some really important work over the summer, uh, the President's Cabinet did, to kind of create uh, a foundational document for the long-term strategic plan for the university. And so what's going to happen this year is um, each campus can then use that foundation and then develop the strategic plan tailored for them, right? So the provost will lead those efforts in Bloomington, the interim chancellor in Indianapolis, and uh, the vice president for regional campuses, and everyone will be able to tailor it for, for their specific needs. And it won't surprise you to hear that the you know the three major themes of that are uh, student success, of course, uh, research and scholarly activity, and then um, service to our state and beyond as well. And so the second category of that, of course, is, is research. And so um, you know our mission. Our charge is to discover things that change people's lives at on, on all of our campuses, frankly. And that can mean a lot of things. That can mean, you know, the 
tremendous uh, res, you know research of Dr. Demarkey you know in, in sciences here that can mean the just exceptional creation of uh, you know music or cultural output scholarship from our, our Jacobs School you know it can mean um, important work that's done in the School of Education related to you know K twelve and how we better serve our students um, it can be the important work that's done in Kelly related to ethical issues and business right I mean it's all it's all important and so the uh, campuses individually will um, be coming together to do that work right what are what are what are our goals in terms of research uh, you know what are appropriate levels of grants and research expenditures we should have and what do we need to have at the university to make sure our faculty can be successful I mean you know we have we have wonderful faculty but they have really busy jobs hard jobs and a lot of responsibility and so you know we need to hear from them about what we need to have in place to support them so they're successful in their scholarship as well as as well as other areas as well and so um, you know what are the what are big thematic areas of growth that campuses would like to see happen and how will those investments happen and so that's how we'll be doing this you know we'll be doing it driven by um, each individual campus and, and the faculty on those campuses during the bicentennial year the universities one of the universities um, themes or goals or strategies was to create these grand challenges and it sounds like a little bit about what you're talking about you know you're going to create you're going to figure out these big things that the university needs to help solve and then move towards solving them do you see this as an addition to the grand challenges or an expansion or something different? Totally yeah, I different. think it's I think it's different. Um, there was right. kind of a trend across the U.S. you know in the last decade to have grand challenges, right? And lots of schools did them, and they had big ones, and you know different different kinds of output and success you know from them, and that's. That's kind of a yesterday's trend, you know. Um, you don't necessarily see that, so um, you know. I I think that um, uh, certainly there'll be a lot to figure out in terms of investing, but I, I see this as much more organic uh, and and really, you know. And maybe I'm biased because I'm a faculty member, but you know, in the end, it is it's the ideas, it's that brilliant idea or thought or burning question or thing you need to make or discover. It happens at the individual faculty level, and I think we really need to you know acknowledge that and celebrate that um, and and let that drive much of what we do. Okay, you talked about the cabinet level. Um, have the other universities been that you have worked at had a an athletics? person at the cabinet level. So uh, when Fred Glass, Glass became athletic director, he said, I want to be a vice president as well so that I'm, I can bring the issues of athletics into the cabinet level. Is that a unique setup? Are you comfortable with that setup? Um, I, I will say every university I've worked at, the athletic director has been part of the president's cabinet. So it's it's not un, unusual. Do they have a vice president um, title as well? They do. I mean, do I, don't don't quote me. Okay. Uh, okay. But okay. I just I mean, when I was in the cabinet, they were always in the cabinet gotcha. too. So okay. so that that's that's the norm. I, I don't know other than that. At least for me, that doesn't. Okay. I'm not speaking generally. Um, but I, but I you know I, I do have to give a shout out, um, particularly for the AD on the Bloomington campus, Scott Dolson. Uh, just just a terrific guy. You know. We're lucky to have an athletic director with so much integrity, uh, you know, uh, so much focus on students. You know, if you walk with Scott Dolson down any type of hall, he knows every student athlete by name. They all know him. He's having conversations about their experience as a student. Um, you know, he is an important contributor to the cabinet in terms of discussing a broad array of issues. Um, it's a very different kind of cabinet. Um, everyone's expected to come um, and work in a collaborative, interdisciplinary way, you know, as well on to, to kind of address the issues. And so um, Scott's a nice addition to the cabinet. Okay. And with, with that uh, in mind, he said in the story that Steve Hennefeld did, he mentioned that it's great to have you as president and that you understand that the student success and that student, student athletes are student mm -hmm. athletes. Um, and I just wanted to, to give you a chance to respond to that. Well, it's very kind, uh, first of all. Um, uh, thanks, Scott, uh, if he's listening by, by off chance. Um, but he's right. Um, you know, they are um, extraordinarily ta talented in, in so many ways, so many ways. Um, but they're students. And 
I, I have to confess, uh, when I have conversations uh, with them, and I have lots of conversations with students, it is a priority for me to spend a lot of a time with students, um, sometimes they talk about their sport, and sometimes we have fun, because I, I go to a lot of the competitions, but they're talking about their classes, and they're talking about their professors, and they're talking about a project that they did in class, and they're talking about an internship, and they're, you know, they're talking about an international trip, and they're talking about what they're going to do after they graduate, or after pros, if they, you know, if that's their that's their plan as well, and so there's there's not a student athlete I've met that doesn't talk about the student part of their of their portfolio okay. as well. With students in particular, uh, there has been a lot of um, a priority given to increasing international enrollment, setting up partnerships with other global institutions. Is that is that something that you plan to continue? Is that uh, one of your priorities? Absolutely. I mean, what a, what a you know, it's a global world now, uh, right? So how naive would it be to think that you you could uh, create an experience for your students and the opportunities for your faculty if you were insular? And so I think that that our outreach, our global outreach, is phenomenal, and um, you know, fully support um, the interest that anyone has certainly to collaborate, you know, beyond our borders, the opportunity to bring in more students and faculty with different perspectives as as, as well. I, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful strength of our institution, and, and one I certainly hope continues. This isn't really a question, but someone wanted to know about arts and humanities, the Jacobs School of Music, IU Cinema. I guess, what what is your opinion on them? I guess, and just when you look to the year ahead, uh, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I literally came here from having coffee with our new dean of our Jacobs uh, School. Yeah. She's just. Just terrific, Dean Bush. Um, it's you know it's a it's a really special part of, of the institution, and um, you know I I actually um, really prioritize attending a lot of the performances because there are students, right? And um, you know my kids are all grown uh, at this point, and so it's you know what you know what a what a wonderful joy and opportunity for for me to get to live through the success of our students and, and watch them, and so. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, everything from the opera, the ballet, you know, the theater performances. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just stunning. And I hope everybody comes out and supports because it is world class here. It, I have never worked at an institution with the, the caliber and the level of performance um, and, frankly, our faculty in, the, in these areas. So we're very fortunate here. We only have about a minute to go. So I want to give you an opportunity. You know, you come into a job that a lot of people look at and they are going to have opinions about how well you're doing or how well you're not doing or what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. What do people misunderstand about President Pamela Whitten? Well, I hope it's, uh, I, I, you know, I hope through time, uh, right, as people, you know, watch me walk the walk um, for, for what we need to do. Um, you know, there becomes uh, an, an understanding and an, an appreciation um, that I'm sincere about serving our students, you know, doing all things to help them excel and achieve. And remember, this is their one college experience, uh, so let's make sure, you know, it's a good one for them. You know, deeply, deeply committed to our, our faculty also having um, very rewarding uh, professional lives. I also hope they have good personal lives and, and, and such appreciation for our staff as well. You know, we live in a world um, where we don't have unlimited resources, so sometimes we have to make hard decisions. Um, but I think the goal is to, you know, keep your eye on the prize and always try to do the right thing. And I will um, always make that a priority. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you having me. Very, us. very happy to have Indiana University President Pamela Witten with us. Today, I want to thank my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, thank our producers, Benta Boutier, Kathy Knapp, Nathan Moore, and Ethan Sandweiss, who's been with us here in the studio today as well, engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.